Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today, our topic is the Indian philosophy of Samkhya, along with its relationship to yoga, and how the understanding of these two philosophies of Samkhya and yoga can help bring us a more profound sense of meaning and help us focus in our spiritual practice. I am joined today by Acharya Sundari Jensen. Acharya Sundari has been offering classes and retreats on yoga philosophy and meditation for over 20 years, including her recent online on-demand course entitled Change Your Mind, Change Your Life, an introduction to Samkhya philosophy, which we will be discussing today. It's a course that we can take at any time, and of course we can take at our own pace. Acharya Sundari is a senior Kriya Yoga teacher at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California where she met her guru, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, in 1992. Acharya Sundari is a certified Hatha Yoga teacher, Vedic counselor, and is a certified yoga therapist with the International Association of Yoga Therapists. For more information about Acharya Sundari, you can check the CSE website at csecenter.org. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Acharya Sundari. I'm super delighted that you could join me today on the podcast. Om, it's my pleasure to be with you on the Yoga Hour once again. And thank you so much for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Me too. Before we dive into that dialogue about Samkhya and yoga philosophy, let's begin as we like to begin here on the yoga hour with a yoga moment, a moment of present moment awareness and a moment of contemplation. So let's begin right where we are, bringing our attention to our bodies in space just feeling our bodies, whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting or standing, walking or driving. And then feeling the surfaces that support our weight. In particular, where are our feet? What part of our weight may be supported in a chair? And then bringing our attention to the breath wonderful tool that's always with us and just noticing on the next inhalation and exhalation. On the next inhalation, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhalation, feeling the warm air flowing out. And then staying right where we are continuing to follow our breath. Here's something to contemplate, a teaching from Yogacharya O'Brien from her book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. 
We have hundreds of choices every day about what we will put our attention on, what thoughts we will cultivate and believe, and what we will allow to influence us. Spiritually conscious living involves turning, turning away from appearances to rely on what is true, turning away from fear and returning to wholeness. It takes boldness to turn and embrace our divine identity, but when we do, we discover a beautiful life overflowing with divine love and grace. Turning toward the truth is the direct path. No preparation is needed. It takes boldness to turn and embrace our divine identity, but when we do, we discover a beautiful life overflowing with divine love and grace. Turning toward the truth is the direct path. No preparation is needed. Once again, Acharya Sundri, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I am so delighted to be able to discuss Samkhya philosophy with you and how Samkhya can add richness to the study of yoga. As I mentioned, in addition to today's conversation here on the Yoga Hour, you are also uh, currently offering an online on-demand course on Samkhya philosophy called Change Your Mind, Change Your Life, an introduction to Samkhya philosophy, which I do highly recommend for listeners. So let's begin with defining Samkhya philosophy. What is it and where does it come from? Sure. Um, first, I want to offer my gratitude to my guru, my teacher, Yogacharya O'Brien, who taught me, who teaches me about Kriya Yoga and about Samkhya philosophy. That was my introduction and continues to be my primary support for learning. Um, Samkhya is one of the six major systems of Indian philosophy, along with yoga and Vedanta and others. And the Sanskrit word samkhya, sometimes it's pronounced sankhya with an N instead of an M. This translate as, translates as enumeration and it, it refers to identifying and numbering the 25 principles of manifestation. And so for yogis, um, understanding samkhya is key to understanding the way that the mind works and how our experience of it, uh, how we can change it, how we can change our experience in the world. So it's a map of human experience, essentially, that shows us the way from pain and suffering to peace and bliss. And who doesn't want that? Exactly. Who doesn't want that? <clears throat> You just defined Samkhya or described it as enumeration and it talking about cosmic manifestation. So what do you mean by that term cosmic manifestation? Um, 
Well, manifestation means uh, conscious creation of the circumstances and outcomes that we experience. And cosmic relates to or is concerned with um, abstract spiritual or metaphysical aspects of creation. So Samkhya enumerates the building blocks or the elements that make up our manifest creation. That, that is how seemingly nothing becomes something. Right. <laughs> That's a good description, how seemingly nothing becomes something. <laughs> That's great. <clears throat> of course, the seemingly nothing is really everything. Everything, of course. The seemingly nothing containing everything. <laughs> yes, yeah. So according to Samkhya, how does creation happen? There, there are um, two basic eternal components to reality. Um, one is called prakriti, which is often, uh, which is nature or matter. And the other is purusha, which is spirit or consciousness. And purusha, spirit, is eternal, unmanifest, and conscious. It is um, the observer, the pure witness, pure consciousness. <clears throat> it's the unchanging witness of Prakriti and all that evolves from that. And Prakriti, often called nature, uh, is also eternal and it is manifest and unconscious. Mm -hmm. It's the primordial cause of uh, the natural world and the cause of all experiences pertaining to matter and energy. It's distinct from consciousness. It's, it's everything that we perceive in our daily life, including pleasure, pain, attraction, aversion. All of that evolves from Prakriti. And the 23 elements of creation, there's 25 Purush Prakriti and the 23 elements of creation beyond that, they exist in Prakriti as potentiality. Mm -hmm. So they're already there. And um, I like this, I have this little analogy, but basically Prakriti requires the presence of Purusha to manifest into existence and Purusha requires the help of Prakriti to experience it. Mm -hmm. So I have this little analogy that um, it, it is as if Purusha were a powerful magnet. You know, like when I was a kid, I would take the magnet and go into the gutter, the little red and uh, silver magnet. And Purusha is that magnet. And Prakriti is filled with all the little metal shavings. And so when the two are in proximity to one another, a, a dynamic tension builds and the metal shavings that are nearest the magnetic field become active. This is, this is um, this first out picturing of the interaction is referred to as God. When people say, what is God? Um, it's Ishwara in Kriya Yoga, we say, um, you know, we need to surrender 
to the divine, to Ishrata. And this is what expresses as primordial sound, Om. That's the creative force of God, um, of the universe. And, and of course, it's not limited to yogic philosophies. Most people have heard how the Bible declares in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Mm-hmm. So Purush and Prakriti interact and then the manifestation process unfolds. Mm-hmm. And that manifestation process is behind everything in the material, in the material world. So just as you were saying, you know, this is a, this is an enumeration, but of the process of, of creation of everything, everything that we can see and including ourselves. So you, you talked about this a little bit, but perhaps you want to say a little bit more. Samkhya is called a map of the human being. So did you want to say a little bit more about that? Sure. Because this is our realm of experience and expression. So this is why we want to study Samkhya. It, it describes the full spectrum of human experience by revealing the, the basic elements that make up the macrocosm and the microcosm. So it teaches us about the components of the body, the mind, and spirit from the, the dense, gross level that makes up the physical body and, and other things, but the physical body all the way to the more subtle elements of consciousness. So it some can names each element, it teaches us its function, and it shows us the relationship that each element has to all of the others. And maybe the, you know, the, uh, you know, the point is, so if this is, if Samkhya is talking about the creation of everything, it's also talking about the creation of us, you know, so <clears throat> on every level. Absolutely. And there's this beautiful um, analogy about why Samkhya is important to us. Um, it's it said that learning about the evolutes of Samkhya and their order is for a yogi, the equivalent of a musician learning musical scales. We need to know the scales before we can make music. Yeah, nice, nice. You quote the Yoga Sutras, in particular verses, uh, the first pada, verses two and three. Would you go over those verses and how they are a promise of understanding this map. Sure. Um, The great uh, Kriya Yoga master, Paramahansa Yogananda said, calm the waves of thoughts and emotions that distort your perception of reality. Mm. Calm the waves of thoughts and emotions that distort your perception of reality. Then in super consciousness, you will behold everything as it really is. So the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, uh, especially these two verses, inform us that when the mental field is calm and undisturbed, we can experience the true, the truth of our essence of being. And this is the source of peace and wisdom 
joy and ultimately liberation. So these, these two verses in chapter one, Sutra two and Sutra three say, Samadhi, oneness consciousness, is experienced when fluctuations and modifications in the meditator's mental field are restrained and pacified. Then the seer, we, then the seer consciously abides in its own true nature, in its, its essence. So Samkhya provides a map of manifest creation and the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali um, provide a means for moving through it consciously, calming the waves of uh, thoughts and emotions to awaken to our true divine nature. The two are really need to work hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you didn't mention, but I know um, that, you know, where these came from, where Samkhya philosophy came from and yoga philosophy came from is out of the, out of the Vedas. So for those listeners who may not be um, familiar with the Vedas, would you give a little brief description? Oh, well, the Vedas are the ancient yogic texts that were brought into being by um, rishis or seers. And these texts were um, really developed through the experience of these sages. It's not like they went and studied some book somewhere. They were the original authors of the spiritual right. texts of these books the, um, that then become the foundation for all the variations of our yogic study. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess what I was wanting to point to listeners for is that this is these are both yoga and uh, Samkhya are both very, very ancient um, you know, there, there, it's nothing that just was made up like, you know, 10 years ago, I mean, these are like have withstood the, uh, you know, the scrutiny of, of thousands of years and, um, <clears throat> and have still have so much to teach us today, which Absolutely. is Sankhya is said to be the oldest of them. As you mentioned, Sankhya describes 25 principles of cosmic manifestation. <clears throat> Would you like to briefly describe the 25 principles just to give listeners kind of a sense of the arc of the map? Yes. And in my on-demand course, I have several handouts, which um, I consider to be essential <laughs> to really understand um, Samkhya philosophy and learn about it. It's a lot of information to take in. Um, orally, it's not impossible, but it can, it can be, it can seem confusing, but when you really listen to it and look at it, it's quite simple, really. So as I said, uh, Samkhya enumerates these building blocks or elements that make up manifest creation. And the 25 elements that make up the universe and our human experience from the densest to the most subtle, you know, from the body and the things we experience to the most subtle are the first, the five great elements, also called the Mahabhutas. 
And these are earth, water, fire, air, and space. And then from those emerge um, the five subtle elements or essences called the tanmatras, odor, taste, form, touch, and sound. Then we have the organs of action, the karmandriyas, the anus for excreting, genitals for procreating, the feet for moving, the hands for grasping, and the uh, larynx for expressing. Then we have the five organs of perception, the yanandreas, uh, the ears for hearing, the skin for feeling, the eyes for seeing, the tongue for tasting, and the nose for smelling. You can begin to see, if you look at these, that they each of them line up, yeah. right? You have the nose for smelling. Um, well, so that's the first, that's 20, the 20 most gross. And then we have the three functions of the mind, sense mind or manas, the ego or ahamkara, and the ego has a bad rap. People think we should get rid of it, but it, it's actually essential to have a very strong ego in order to um, experience liberation. So sense mind, ego, which is ahamkara, and then intellect, which is called buddhi, or sometimes it's called mahat. Then the two eternal principles that I already mentioned, uh, nature, prakriti, and then the most subtle spirit or purush. So as I said, this can seem very complicated, um, but once you study it and understand it, you can really see how each piece impacts the other and uh, how we can work from the outside in toward liberation and we can work from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is in this conversation that we're having is really sort of an introduction to the introduction because your course has, uh, you know, I believe it's three different modules and each of these has three different, you know, sections within it. Each one is meant to be done over about a week, as I recall. Um, so it's like a, you know, it's meant to be looked at over maybe a three week, you know, period. Uh, and again, highly recommended. So the map of Samkhya, as you mentioned, when you first look at it can seem complicated. And, and I guess that would make sense if you're talking about this potential um, then manifesting as literally everything that there is in the world, then it has to have a little bit of complexity complexity to it. Um, what I really appreciated about the online program that you created, it really is quite understandable. And what's so nice about the fact there are these pre-recorded modules is you can just go, if you didn't, you know, if you want to hear it again, you just go back, you know, and hear it again. So that I think is, is really um, a nice way to approach the material in that you can take it in little bites and then dive more deeply if you want to come back to something, which it's, that's the nice thing about the on-demand format that you created. Yes, exactly. Then you can, um, you know, learn about it, then try it out in your life and then go back and check your understanding. Right. As a reminder to our listeners, my guest today is Acharya Sundri Jensen, who is a senior Kriya Yoga teacher at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, which is the sponsor of this podcast. 
Acharya Sundari's online class, which is called Change Your Mind, Change Your Life, an Introduction to Samkhya Philosophy, is offered, and you can sign up for that through the CSE Center's website, which is csecenter.org. CSE is Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, so csecenter.org. Just look for the On Demand Classes button at the bottom of the home page. We'll also have this link on our webpage at theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website, theyogahour.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. Sundari. So the, as you mentioned, the Samkhya map really begins with these two principles, uh, Purusha and Prakriti. And you already have said a, a little bit about them. What I wanted to ask you is sometimes I have heard that the Samkhya system, um, some people have described it as a dual system, not not a oneness system, because it shows at the at the top of the diagram, it shows Purusha and Prakriti as two separate things. So how does the concept of oneness align with this teaching of Purusha and Prakriti? That's an excellent question. Um, Purusha, as the conscious aspect of creation, is an individual's light of awareness. It only sees what Mahat or Buddha presents to it. Purusha is the individual part of the universal spirit, Brahman. Purusha and Prakriti are both um, potential aspects within Brahman, which is the unchanging eternal uh, essence that is beyond name, beyond form. Purusha, as I said, is it's the most subtle aspect of Samkhya. It's beyond mind. Um, it cannot be perceived by the sensory organs. So it makes it hard to describe, but it can be understood through um, the practice of deep meditation and contemplation. It can be experienced and you can know it by knowing it, but you, you can't put words to it because it's beyond that. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's important for meditators, for yogis, to really understand this, this concept or this idea of Purush and Prakriti, that there's the spirit and then there's nature? Uh, well, I, I like this quote from the Katha Upanishad. It says, the wise, realizing through meditation, the timeless self beyond all perception, hidden in the cave of the heart, leave pain and pleasure be far behind. Those who know they are neither body nor mind, but the immemorable self, the divine principle of existence, and these ones find joy and live in abiding joy. So in Samkhya, the problem of suffering is resolved by using its philosophical map to rewind the process of thought. Like this Upanishad's um, verse, Samkhya's viewpoint is that the goal of yoga is to remove suffering and realize liberation. So we experience liberation when Purusha disentangles from Prakriti and resides in its own 
true nature. Mm -hmm. um, suffering occurs when Purusha identifies as and is attached to the manifest forms of Prakriti. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, I was also just thinking as you were speaking that um, sometimes in my um, meditation, not so much during the meditation, but then after the meditation, you know, I'll reflect on something that I've read, something that I've studied, and it'll become clear to me in a new way, um, just from the experience of, you know, meditation, which is not a um, mental understanding, but a, but a direct experience that I may have, you know, during meditation. And, and so that is why um, one of the main practices of Kriya Yoga is the study of scripture. And this Samkhya, you know, philosophy would be, would be included, you know, in that, um, that this is a part of our sadhana, you know, part of our, part of our study, um, you know, would be self-study and also the study of, of uh, scriptures like this. So that then when we have those experiences in meditation, we can, we can, we can experience more deeply than what we've read. We may not get it, you know, when we first read it, but then, um, you're smiling. So I, you know, I, I kind of, I know you've had this experience too. You know, it's like, oh, now I get, now I get what they were talking about, <clears throat> which is like the, it's like the self-revealed aspect of, of, uh, of, of knowledge. Did you want to comment on that? Well, yeah, that's exactly right. It's, um, in, in this state, we can, witness our thoughts and pure awareness and we realize we're not our thoughts and so samkhya it shows us how to experience the manifest world it, it gives us as you said a map and one of the things i really appreciate that is just to add on to what you said there is when we have deep experiences sometimes we can um you know, I don't know if be afraid is the right thing, but we just, it, it can be like, oh, I don't know where this experience is going. But when we have a map, we have some understanding, um, we come to a point in our practice, we can recognize it, even if for the first time, and know that we're on the right track. Right. Yes, those are, that's an important part of it, I think, you know, when you have those confirmatory experiences where you have more insight, you're like, ah, okay, now I, you know, I feel like I, you know, I, I understand something that I didn't understand before. So that's very helpful. So going back to this map, this enumeration, I wanted to give you a chance to give us um, more, a little bit more of a description of the elements the subtle essence of elements and subtle organs of action and organs of perception that you mentioned that part of this enumeration that that is Samkhya. So how do these connect, these elements connect with each other and with the mind? This is a most excellent question because it is really where um, the rubber meets the road in the exploration of Samkhya. So those five great elements, earth, water, fire, air, and space, these are the material properties of a thing. And then the five subtle elements or essences, odor, taste, form, touch, and sound, 
these provide a means to experience and express the material properties. So we can be begin to see how we can work from the outside in, outside meaning physical form, the five organs of action, the anus for excreting, genitals for procreating, feet for moving, hands for grasping, larynx for expressing. These are the organs, um, these organs are how we receive output from lower mind, sense mind, manas, and express in the manifest realm. So these organs are about expressing. The five organs of perception, this is a very important part, ears, skin, eyes, tongue, and nose. These organs are how we receive input from the manifest realm into lower mind or manas. So we can see how important it is that these organs are working properly our ears, our skins, our skin, our eyes, our tongue, and our nose, or we will be getting false information, putting it into the mind. So this low, lower sense mind, um, when experiencing the manifest realm, Manas receives input from the organs of perception, and then it passes it on whatever it perceives, it passes it on to the higher functions of the mental field where we make decisions about how we are going to respond or react. It, when expressing in the manifest realm, Manas receives input from the higher functions of the mental field and it passes them on to the organs of action. I hope this makes sense and it's simple enough um, to make it a little more practical, many of the yogic techniques, such as asana and pranayama and Ayurvedic practices, they act to purify sense mind, manas, and the organs of perception and organs of action. And then superconscious meditation acts to purify the mental field and its components. So understanding these is really critical to um, moving toward liberation of consciousness. Indeed. <clears throat> um, you mentioned, I think briefly, the elements of mind. Mm -hmm. Can you go over those again that are in the, you know, in, in the Samkhya system? Because we just talked about how, you know, these things you know, can feed into manas, this sense mind, and then higher parts of the mind can then feed information into manas, which then, you know, can express uh, as or in the organs of action. Um, I just wanted to give listeners a little bit of a reminder because you did go through it, but, you know, so those different elements of mind that are in the Samkhya system. Exactly. And I said that the first part is how we work from the outside in, and this part is how we work from the inside out. So in, in the first lines of the Samkhya Karika, which is the basic text of Samkhya, uh, Ishvara Krishna succinctly states why it is that anyone would bother this sort of philosophical inquiry. He, he basically says, we want to know why suffering emerges and we want to know how we can ameliorate it. 
So at the core of Samkhya is the belief that suffering can be eliminated through direct comprehension of the nature of reality. So then we're led to ask this question, what, what is the nature of the world, ourselves, and ultimate reality? The mind, chitta, it's referred to as the mental field, is an aspect of prakriti that contains its first three evolutes. Buddhi, or intuitive wisdom, this is closest to um, Purush. Ahamkara, ego, the eye sense, and manas, as I said, sense mind. So uh, as an aspect of Prakriti, Chitta and its components are not conscious of its own accord. It's the light of Purusha that Chitta appears. It's, it, it's from that light of Purusha that Chitta appears in Prakriti to begin with. Without the light of Purusha, this part of the mental field doesn't even exist. So these 20 evolutes of Prakriti flow from Manas, the 20 that we just talked about, the sense organs, the 10 subtle sense organs, the uh, subtle elements, and the five great elements. So as human beings, our mental field is conditioned by our life experiences. Every sensory input that we receive, every action we take or thought or emotion we have are stored in the chitta, makes an impression in the mental field. And over time, this information is used to define who and what we think we are. Who do you think you are? <laughs> well, I think I am whatever I have imprinted in the mind. This right. is this is when Purusha gets entangled with Prakriti and in essence forgets itself. So Chitta is situated between the never-changing light of pure consciousness, Purusha, and the ever-changing outer world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when it becomes tarnished with the residue of mental and emotional experiences, that inner light cannot shine through clearly, which is required to have a life that is free of suffering and filled with joy. Mm -hmm. you, you, this is you know, where you can think of that story, you hear it all the time, where uh, chitta, the field of consciousness, is um, like a body of water, like a lake. And when there's no wind, the surface of this pond or lake is completely still and clear and you can easily see your reflection undistorted. Right. But, but a breeze of Riti arises, a wave arises in the mental field and um, makes a ripple on the pond, making it difficult or impossible to get a clear reflection of your true self. I love, I love that actually, you know, and then when you are, when you have this experience in meditation of thoughts really settling, you know, you really have like a felt experience of that still 
lake, you know, where there's this clarity that, you know, that you can sink into as, you know, part of a part of meditation. Um, I, it always always struck me that it's so valuable to have this idea of the mind. It's a very, to me, a more subtle idea of the mind than like the, you know, Western uh, perspective that there's this chitta, this mental field, that there's a manas, that there's this, you know, sense part of the mind that is related to, you know, our senses, that there's a, um, you know, this I sense, this ahamkara, you know, be, you know, be, these words are so beautiful, uh, ahamkara, you know, this, this ego sense, and then there's a buddhi, this, you know, this intuitive, you know, connection, I think we have all had that kind of aha experience where we're sort of trying to, you know, struggle with something and all of a sudden there's clarity, you know, it's like, and, and maybe it happens when we're like in the shower, you know, and all of a sudden we just like, we just know, we just know something. And that's, you know, that's a more direct connection with, you know, with booty. So what do you think understanding of this, you know, kind of a more complex picture of, you know, of the mind, what does that bring to us, you know, in our yoga practice, in our meditation uh, practice? What benefits are there? Well, you know, there's this saying that we see the world not as it is, but as we are, yeah. as our mind is. And so as we learn about this, the components of the mental field, uh, understanding this helps us to change our mind, which in turn changes our life. And we, we learn the importance of those first two or second and third, I should say, uh, verses in the Yoga Sutras about the importance of um, calming the vrittis so the seer can see its true identity. Absolutely. Now, another part of this map of uh, Samkhya uh, involves the gunas, which are also part of uh, yoga philosophy. So I really wanted to um, ha have a chance to ask you about them. So what are the three gunas, first of all? And then what role do they play in this map of Samkhya? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> just a really quick answer. I'm sure you can answer it in 30 dollars. No, Four hour topic. Um, and this can seem a little confusing if it's your first time hearing about Samkhya because we named 25 aspects of Samkhya and then we added in Chitta and now we're adding in the three gunas. So okay. think of the gunas and of Chitta as backdrops. Um, every aspect of prakriti is made up of this quality known as the gunas. Um, and the Sanskrit word guna translates as um, rope or strand, meaning that which ties purusha to prakriti. And these, these three aspects are present in everything in the manifest realm. And the interaction between them determines the form, the um, quality, and the behavior of all things. So everything is shaped by them. Um, from the atoms of living beings all the way to stars, planets, and galaxies, 
So the three gunas are called sattva, rajas, and tamas. And sattva is associated with luminosity. It has the power to appear. And rajas guna is associated with uh, the energy of activity. And so it has the power of motion, the ability uh, to expand. And tamas guna is the quality of stability and inertia. And so it has the power to resist and rein in that expansive energy of rajas. So they function kind of like a lamp um, to bring the world of experience into being. Each guna has a role to play just, just as the cotton wick the oil and the fire uh, in a lamp, though the, though these three are contradictory in what they're made up of, of their comp composition, they collaborate to create um, light by coming together. Mm. So it's through the manifestation of the gunas that Prakriti um, comes into various forms of manifestation. They're, they're present in everything in dynamic tension. Right. And in particular, I wanted to ask you to describe the effects of the gunas then on the mind. How, for example, in meditation, how did the gunas uh, affect our meditation practice? In her book, A Single Blade of Grass, Yogacharya O'Brien writes, like a serene lake reflecting the light of the moon on a clear night, the quiet mind reveals our true divine identity as part of all that is. So Sanfaguna is a state of harmony, balance, and equilibrium. And anytime you feel happy, peaceful, and calm, that has to do with Sanfaguna. When the mental field is predominantly sattvic, we are able to experience heightened states of samadhi and eventually complete liberation or kaivalya. When the mental field is predominantly tamasic, we're in a state that's um, often referred to as stupefied. I love that word. <laughs> And in, in this state, we're not inclined to or able to meditate. And then between those two, when the mental field is predominantly rajasic, we feel restless and um, are unable to relax enough to meditate until there's a bit of sattva coming together with the rajasic state. And then then our mind comes into a state that's called distracted. And believe it or not, that is where uh, we are able to begin meditation because we can bring the practice of concentration um, into play, which can help to raise the sattvic level. And we can use various yogic techniques to mitigate and um, moderate the influence of the gunas in the mental field in order to support an environment in the mental field that's conducive to meditation. 
So if we're feeling a little lethargic and we want to energize the body and we are a practitioner of Hatha yoga, we can do sun salutations. Mm-hmm. That brings more energy. But if we're feeling rajasic, we're over-energized, we can, we want to bring more calmness to the body and mind, we can practice moon salutations or just legs up the wall. Mm-hmm. That calms us down. And then there are different um, breathing techniques or pranayama practices that can work with the gunas to bring more coolness to the mind and body or bring more energy and heat uh, or just bring more balance in general. Those are some great suggestions. Um, This was one of the things that was really fun for me when I first started to uh, study yoga was understanding these three, you know, so sattva, rajas, and tamas, and then noticing what what was associated like so for example if i had to go to the mall to buy something you know that is so rajasic and then i would leave there and my mind was very rajasic very like jumping from one thing to another just kind of over overly stimulated um who hasn't had that experience of just like being a couch potato and just being on the couch and it's like i know i should do something you know (laughs) And as you point out, yoga has such great tools that can help us to then work with those uh, states and balance them, you know, get a little bit more sattva into our you know, mental field so that we can do what we know we should do. Well, unbelievably, we've come to the end of our time together as we close our discussion of Samkhya philosophy. What words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to leave with our listeners? Well, first, I want to thank you again and offer much gratitude to your entire um, support team for the yoga hour. Everything that you offer is phenomenally supportive for those on the path of um, yoga or any spiritual path. So much gratitude to you. And uh, Yogacharya O'Brien writes, this is really important. Knowing what we think what we intend and what we believe is the basis for our experience. Wise people change their lives by changing their consciousness. That quote was the foundational basis that um, inspired me to offer this course. The second chapter of the yoga sutras focuses on Kriya yoga, which provides a step-to-step guide for purifying the body and mind and eliminating obstacles to experiencing reality to its fullest. Tapas, Vajaya, Ishvani, Pranidhan. So these practices, intensive self-discipline, studious self-inquiry, and surrender to God are the practices of Kriya Yoga. This is... um, really the path that I follow in order to put the practices that will make sense with Samkhya into play. So in in addition to enrolling in this Samkhya course, I really encourage you to visit our website, which I'm sure um, 
Dr. Trujillo is about to do, but look for programs with Yogacharya O'Brien and other senior teachers of Kriya Yoga to support your path of spiritual awakening. Yes. Um. Mm-hmm. Um. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. My guest today has been Acharya Sundari Jensen, senior creative teacher at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. She currently has, as we've mentioned, an online on-demand course that goes into more depth on the topic of Samkhya, which we've been discussing today. And that course is called Change Your Mind, Change Your Life, an Introduction to Samkhya Philosophy. Again, everyone at the Yoga Hour really highly recommends the course and will help you deepen your practice as uh, Charya Shundari shares these teachings in such an accessible way. You can find out more about the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, this course, and all the other programs being offered at CSE on the website, csecenter.org, which will also be posted on our website in the program notes on theyogahour.com. Thank you so much, Acharya Sundari, for joining me today on the Yoga Hour. For listeners, we hope that you'll join us for um, some of the many online programs offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, which sponsors this show. CSE offers daily online meditation in the mornings, every morning, 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. in the afternoon, 4 to 4.30 p.m. and on Monday evenings at 7.30 p.m. and all those times are Pacific time. In addition, there is a Sunday satsang. Satsang is is a word that means a gathering of truth seekers. This Sunday satsang happens at 10 a.m. Pacific each week. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I will be joined again by Yogacharya O'Brien. We will be discussing how spiritual practices imbued with the symbols from the Christian tradition of Advent can be luminous tools to guide us through the dark days and nights of winter. Through the practices of contemplation and meditation, we can prepare our hearts and minds to reach the realization of the universal Christ or Krishna consciousness. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment Meditation Center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. For listeners, remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, think about sharing it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, and Christine Soap. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all who need. <laughs>